This is Shane Gibson's social media podcast with ClosingBigger.net. Today, I've got an awesome guest on our show, Jessica Northey, social mediaologist. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for having me today. I'm very excited. Me as well. My, my first podcast. <laughs> so not the first time being broadcast, though. Uh, Jessica comes with an extensive background in broadcast. She's a writer, blogger, nationally recognized speaker. Uh, she is a daily columnist for allaccess.com. Uh, some of sort, of sort of the more notable social media achievements, uh, Fast Company magazines had an influencer project that ranked her one of the 150 most influential people on social media with a rank of 109 with 140,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, she definitely has uh, an engaged uh, community that's connected with her. And really specializes in, correct me if I'm wrong, but social media uh, for the entertainment industry, particular music, particular yeah, music. Especially when someone is the brand. That's where I've grown my niche at. When you know, you're know you the brand or your radio station is the brand as opposed to a person who's, you know, I own a business and you know this business is part of my brand. Fantastic. And I think that is key. I mean, I, you know, it's my opinion, and this is, is that, you know, people buy from people. Uh, you know, people, uh, you know, even from a, if you're selling an initiative to a community, whether it's a politician or, or it's a musician, uh, they're really buying from us. They're buying into our brand and our voice. So I think that's, I hope to see more companies going that way, realizing that the, that the branded individuals in that company are, are vital. I agree. I agree. I think it's important to... You know what I always think about is that you could take away my business or anything I have today, but the brand and my personal um, network, if you took it away or it went away or I sold it within 90 days, I'd be up and running on something new because <laughs> I've built that network and uh, the, I've grown my brand in me and put value and stock into myself. And, and it's kind of a neat feeling. I, I feel good about it. So who is who and what is Finger Candy Media? Because that's kind of how I well I stumbled across you on Twitter <laughs> through a random conversation where we crossed paths and then uh, took a deep dive into your site. But maybe for our listeners, let us know a little bit about Finger Candy uh, Media, uh, who and what it is. Well, basically, it's my little uh, niche boutique firm where. I help people use social media strategically to accomplish productivity goals. And depending on what that is for a regular, an artist, it might be more iTunes downloads. It could be, we've got a new music coming out on radio. And so the life of a, you know, a song is generally about three months from the time that, you know, you give it to radio till it goes through charts. And I mean, you hope it to be longer than that, but my part where of the promotion and doing some of what I do of the, integrated digital services because i mean it's social media and social uh, networking it's kind of two different things because like twitter's like a you know a media in a way that we're broadcasting to people and then you've got geez all the bloggers getting in front of them and making sure that you know the youtube's firing well and facebook and that you're into the communities and you're a part of them. And I just facilitate that. And I nudge my artist or I say, Hey, have you done um, a YouTube video this week? Or I come up with something branded for them. Uh, one, you know, a great one. I love this one is uh, Marthea Sides, a country music star and also a um, 
reality TV star, we came up with a minute with Marthea. So once a week, she does a 60-second just something. I mean, she'll talk about her hair or making coffee, but her followers, because they're into her and her music and their fans, they want to know these simple things. So I just help people pull the the things in life that they may take for granted, and I put hold up a mirror and say, hey, wait, this is really cool. Let's look at this. So well, let's talk about uh, you went from a very, well, one of the, you know, the, the big three traditional media, uh, in, you know, which is radio, into social media. And, you know, how did you make that transition? How did you get started? Well, okay. The, so radio was the original social media, Shane. Don't you know that? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Talk shows, right? Back and forth. That's a great Oh, uh, no. Radio. Well, radio basically, you know, thinking back to the way when I was younger, um, you know, mom and dad, when it, like, so we'd, okay. After night, so like say you had your little boyfriend or your best friend, you'd call to the radio station and you'd request a song and they'd say, Jessica from the South Side wants to send out love to Kelly to on the North Side. And it was kind of the way that we like, you know, communicated or even like you'd call and you talk to a DJ and you'd say, hey, there's this thing going on this weekend. Could you talk about it on the air? I mean, it was very, you know, filling in that sense, like you had user generated content is what made results for radio and made radio special and created the show. And I was actually an on-air traffic reporter. So I was the good morning watch for a little bit of slow and go on the inbound side of it. You know, that, and then I transitioned into TV sales and then back to radio. And, um, in that journey, I discovered my space and, your space and it became our space and it became like a money maker for us as we integrated our website and our online efforts as far as like an initiative. So if we were doing something like, you know, um, a go green San Joaquin or whatever the, the type of, um, initiative it was for the radio station, we would bring in some MySpace or we would put in, you know, Facebook and we would use them all together to package, to go to clients. Right. So we would use on air promotional inventory to say, hey, check us out online for this initiative. But we'd also power it from our social media sites. So it was one way we never outwardly came out and said, "Okay, you're going to pay us five hundred dollars a month to be on our MySpace. It was more packaging it together, what we were doing in radio. And um, I think that what that prepared me for was getting that the social media value wasn't necessarily on a per platform or a per campaign idea. It was like, how do I integrate everything together to create um, a conversation that goes across the platforms, right? Are you following me? Absolutely. Are you picking up? I so, am following you. So it really trained me well to work with, you know, I started out a few years ago. So I started Finger Candy Media three years ago. And... It was kind of one of those things where I had a different idea in mind of what I was thinking this was going to be. I pretty much had wanted to do a you know text company. Yes. And it ended up that I felt that wasn't broad enough to what people were asking and for me because that was oh that was another part of the radio that I was doing with texting. So the kind of call to action that you can do with text messaging and your mobile marketing was really at it. So what you what you did with radio? I mean, this is now how how long ago was this when this started with the radio in the in the MySpace? Was that four five years ago? Four years ago? 
Um, boy, no, I think I want to say back in my space was, I wanted, I was it 2001 or 2002. I was back with Facebook before we were right there on the cutting edge when you, you know, how it was used to be Ivy league. People could only be a part of it and then sure. they opened it up. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had the funniest, right. When they opened it up, my, um, a girl, I rented a room to at my house in, um, in California had been just graduated from Notre Dame law school. And she's like, Oh, you got to check this out. You can now register it for you. They just started letting people. And she'd been on it for years because she was Notre Dame for the whole time. Yes. And so she showed me the Facebook, the Facebook at the time. And then I kind of brought it into the station. I was like, we need to be all over this. I'm like, we need mm-hmm. to be on this, like white on rice. And so it was like, um, I've always been somewhat of a visionary and I've looked at stuff. And then when Twitter came around, I was like, oh, wow. So now what, this- you're, what you're talking about, just quickly on the radio side, and then I, I definitely want to jump into Twitter because sure. this is how we connected and, and we taught, you know, how we came across and began that conversation about outsourcing. But I want to kind of focus back a little bit on radio because what I hear you were doing in radio, uh, I still only see a handful of radio stations uh, in many markets even coming close to doing that right now, which is offering an integrated package. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's because they don't have a me in every market. <laughs> it's, it's seriously, it's so hard to, okay, I look at radio and my very first thought, I mean, obviously it's a happy one. I love radio, but um, most of what radio is controlled by, there's very few young, hip, like fun, you know, like uh, women innovated and there's not a place to grow the younger people, like men, people out of college, whoever, coming in out of college. We're not doing a very good job in that. So we have a bunch of people who've been around for 20, 30, 40 years, and they're still not even comfortable texting is what I find. So even emailing seems like to be a task. And I'm not like saying, I, I'm saying that I get, I'm very blessed because I work with some tremendous radio people that are like, we just want to try anything and see what's going to stick. And then something, there's got to be a preparedness to, um, radio is used to, we live and die by some analytics and by Arbitron. And if we don't get instant results, we kind of look at it and go, okay, we need to change gears and they're constantly changing gears. But if I, I try to train people, don't necessarily look at the numbers look at the percentages of growth. Cause I find that if you notice that you've just got on Twitter and you're on Facebook and you're heavily blog, you're blogging more and you go from, you know, having whatever, 20,000 hits a month to 21,000 or 22,000 or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, just a minor numbers. increase. Yeah. Yeah. And you see it as a minor numeric increase, but yet you see page views go up and you see more hits coming or you're, you're, as you're providing more content, you're less bounce rate. So if you start paying attention to the percentages that are in your favor, that's where I try to keep them focused at. Cause I don't like to look at numbers. And I mean, it's, it's really more of a, also a gut. And that's another problem is that big radio and the suits, when I go to them, I used to say, oh, it's the RGF factor, RGF factor. And they'd all laugh at me. They're like, the RGF factor. And I was like, I got a really good feeling. It was like my joke, RGF factor. And I was always one of those people that would look at things. And I think that's why I find myself, you know, going to all these broadcast events and speaking at them. And they, a uh, couple people, they kind of nicknamed and they joke and they call me the bell of the broadcasting ball. Yes. Like every, everyone wants to dance with you. And the thing is, All I ever have done is 
allowed somewhat of my intuition to come into play and I've looked for trends and I've watched how people are using it. And then, um, I don't do a cookie cutter setup. What I would recommend for a new rock station is not going to look at all like the ABC affiliate in New Jersey or nor is it going to look like the country music station in Tucson, Arizona. It's a totally different optimization with totally different crowds. Great. So let's talk a little bit about Twitter. Because uh, I know you're moving that direction, anyways. And so, kind of for our audience, how we got connected on Twitter uh, was uh, I think I, I retweeted uh, a comment uh, or a quote uh, in regards to a conference you were at. You replied, uh, and I said, Hey, I'm actually not there. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about this topic. And the topic uh, was about outsourcing your tweets, outsourcing and automating your tweets. And, and what your feeling is in this. I mean, you've had a measurable amount of success for yourself and, and a number of, of the individual brands you've worked with. And what are your, what's your stance on this and, and why? Um, I'm anti-outsourcing tweets. I don't believe in it, and I think it's, like, wrong. And I, don't, I won't take clients that want me to tweet for them. I don't care how much money they offer me because I think it's a lie to the people that you're communicating with. And I get if you're communicating as Dell it's okay because you have a blanket amount of people that are, you know, tweeting for you. But if you're an actual artist and that's not you and it's somebody else, I think that that's disrespectful to your fans and I don't like it. And um, as for that, I think the key is to collect your own thoughts. And if you are wanting to put your music lyrics out or quotes that are important to you or things that are important to you, I'm of the like that if I created the content to begin with, or I was responsible for it, how I, um, send it out. If it came from me, doesn't matter if I, if I set it up on a, um, an automation to go out. So I say, Oh gosh, I'm going to be driving and I don't tweet while I drive, but at 11 o'clock I want people to see this. And I set up something it still came from me. And yes, then, absolutely. So I think for an artist or somebody who's really high profile is to designate a certain amount of time and let the fans know, you know, I'll be on live at six o'clock every night to talk to you guys. And then throughout the day, you can check out my thoughts. And if you see something, you want to communicate with me there, you know, be honest with people. When I found out recently that one of my favorite people in the world and on Twitter was not really them. I felt betrayed and, you know, I'm not following them anymore and I'm just really upset about it. So let's, what about a local radio station? What if a local radio station hired uh, another company in another state to uh, monitor their Twitter stream and kind of send out thank yous to people who like their show uh, and didn't do it in-house? Is that is that a violation of trust? Is that okay? Well, it's a radio station, and I think that the radio station has to do what they can feel comfortable with because it all comes down to maintenance, Yes, and it comes down to the integration of stationality as well as sociality. So your station has its own online personality. Or I mean, your station, we call it in the broadcast world, stationality. It's the personality that people look at and go, oh, you know, if you're a Jack FM format, they're like, oh, it's that Cadillac Jack, and he doesn't care, and he's playing what he wants when he wants to play it, right? So, or a news station, it has that authoritative, like, feel to it. So if you can keep the sound so that when people read something you tweet, that it sounds like what you want them to hear. You know what I mean? And then so... If that if that person is responsible for that integrity or it's the person who writes your promos for your online and your on-air stuff, 
I mean, it, it could be that, but the key component is the responsiveness to the people. Yes. So whoever you designate to be responsible to them, that's acting on behalf of your station, it's important that they're informed and they're knowledgeable. Well, and also, hey, let's just be honest. Um, you don't want someone getting on there who's like, not that they're illiterate, but maybe someone who's misspelling words or um, a big thing I saw, I was in, I won't even tell you, but I was on my way to go in another market and I was driving down the road on the radio. I heard them broadcasting live from a place I was around the neighborhood. It was a country music station. And then, so I was like, I stopped to get gas. And then I looked at my Twitter to see where's this location. I knew I was in the neighborhood. All I saw was it's getting hizzy in the shizzy down here at the fizzy. Come on down and let's get a busy, you know? And I'm like, wow, promotions intern. That was the first thing I thought of. I was a promotions intern. That was definitely not the 45 year old DJ that was on site broadcasting live for the country music station. Yeah. So authenticity in the voice and, and the more real time your responses can get the better. Absolutely. Really? Exactly. Um, well, I like the way you said that. <laughs> that's exactly what I always uh, try to put out there. So, so tips for let's talk. You know about uh, just a couple thoughts on on Twitter. Um, you've you've built a a considerable following online, um, and you know there's always the quality versus quantity argument people will make. Uh, in regards to building a large reach versus a quality of following. How have you done it? I mean, you've got a large reach. What were the things that you did to build a a good, uh, large, and engaged Twitter following? I think the really greatest thing I heard was the other week I was talking to somebody, and she's getting close to almost 200,000 followers. And I said, wow, congratulations. And I said, how'd you do it? And, you know, I was being funny. She goes, follow for a follow. And that's really important is that you target exactly who you want to follow, and you find it. So if your station is country, you should follow the people um, if, if you're going – depending on your, your goals. It all goes back to your goals. Like if you're in market – that's just Tucson and you don't want to go past Tucson, then you maybe want to marry the fact that you're a country station to programming of the local ABC affiliate, or if you have a competitor, whoever you want to look for people that to follow that are online in your market and follow them and then engage them. And then, you know, talk to them because who's not going to follow a radio station back most of the time or a TV station. Cause it's kind of cool. It's like, Hey, Oh, KRQ is following me. It's kind of a cool thing. I think that I've heard when, and when you do it nine times out of 10, whoever you follow, they usually will be like, wow, so-and-so is following me. And they're so excited about it. And they went from being involved to being like an evangelist for your brand. Fantastic. And, and I think that's the, it's a recognition factor is huge, isn't it? To Absolutely. And I think people, even brands don't, uh, whether it's a you know large brand, a local radio station, or you know what, an individual uh, business owner down the street who's got one location, and they take the time to thank somebody. Uh, I think that the, often the customer doesn't expect a radio station or somebody who's a country music star or uh, the local business owner to really care what they think in a lot of cases. And that recognition is huge. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And then, I mean, going back to that with the goals. So if you've got an online radio station, you can expand into the artist country. If you play Tim McGraw on your station, go follow people that are following Tim McGraw. 
Yeah. You know, fish in the pond that has the most fish that you can catch, right? Absolutely. And I think that is, I think that's the other thing too, is there's a lot of other people like Tim McGraw has done some work for you. They've, they've helped pull together a niche of followers that are really in line with your target market. And I think, you know, people say, who do I follow? Who do I engage with? Yet there's all kinds of people out there who are already catering to your market who are engaging those audiences. Right, right. I mean, like Taylor Swift is a good example. When I first started out, um, it was back when she only had like a couple hundred thousand followers. And I would follow the people that were following Taylor Swift because I knew that I talked about country music and that they were following her. Maybe they liked country music. Well, she might not be the best example, but she was one that I followed. And then I was looking at, you know, mostly like there's CMT online, GAC. So there was all these TV stations. And so I would fish in the pond. And then eventually my pond, my my pool got bigger and bigger and then now bigger than all theirs. Not Taylor's, obviously, but um, some of these online magazines, I've grown it. And then what's more is because I engage people and I don't just broadcast about me all the time. Yeah. I talk to people. I actually have more influence. So when I say something, a lot more people retweet it. A lot more people call to action. There's a lot more that gets, um, happens, you know, like you, the engagement's just different. Um, I've seen some stuff and I don't remember what, it was a really big actress who has millions of followers and some book decided to launch through her and they gave her a special code and said anybody that day that clicked on it and bought the book and they paid her like an obscene amount of money and they got like no clicks. So now they think, Oh, it doesn't work. Well, you gave it to an actress who doesn't talk to any of her followers. People don't, it's a community of user-generated content. It's that back and forth, and it's a trust building. And so it's like, Shane, if I see a link from you and you've said to me, or you say, hey, this is a great-looking book. You should check it out. I've had conversations with you. I trust you. We're engaged. I say, okay, I'm going to check on it. I look at that person, and I think, oh, that was paid for. She probably doesn't even read that book. Absolutely. So it's a whole different uh, way to influence and with that Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. It's the same, hey, it's the same rules, just different, different platforms. And I think that's the people are, that's where my challenge is with, with the, the disengaged community or those that are moving onto the web. Some of these senior executives that you, you know, you talked about earlier who are up in the radio industry, for instance, who have been in the industry for 30, 40 years. And it's the technology freaks them out a little bit. What they don't realize is that the same principles they apply, communicating face-to-face and working in their community that's made them successful. It's the same stuff that works on Twitter <laughs> on, in regards to building blogging communities, uh, in, gar- in regards to having a great Facebook page presence. But it's, uh, I don't know, I think social media experts uh, make it sound too complicated, too. What do you think? Well, how are they going to keep their jobs? I once read something, and it said something like an expert is someone who just keeps you confused about what they're doing. And that's why, like, I get called out by people all the time for giving out too much information. Like, when I speak, when I write in blogs, I give everybody my secret sauce. If you yes. go read my blog, it's all there. I ain't hiding nothing. Uh, the curtain's pulled back. I tell you everything I'm doing. But the thing is that it's, um, oh, my gosh, Lee Abrams. Am I, I'm not going to cuss, but Lee Abrams has this thing, and he says, AFDI, actually flip and do it. Yes. And that's the, what separates the men from the boys, and people hate change. But I got news for you. When we quit, when we stop changing, you know, we stop. Like, when change is done, we're done. It's like if you don't change and go with the flow and learn the new stuff, you're out of here. And I think that the ROI for radio, for local radio, 
with social media integration, the ROI is that their station will actually be having live DJs in five years and it won't be completely automated. That's an awesome comment. The, the ROI is live DJs in five years if you integrate social media. And I think, that's, uh, I think that could be said about many industries. I mean, we talk about, uh, I, I do a lot of sessions with my co-author, Stephen Jagger, for Realtors. And, um, you know, we'll often say, you know, you don't have to get involved in social media if you plan on retiring in the next two to three years. Uh, but if you plan on staying in the game for five, uh, you need, you know, you're going to need to utilize these tools to communicate. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, uh, it's for radio, it's imperative because we can get where, where we're getting our music at, like from movies and soundtracks and iTunes and all of the competition online. So in order to stay there, you have to have that. Like, so if you're the morning show guy and you have 50,000 evangelists who follow you and you follow them and there's like interaction going around, do you think that that radio station's ever going to let you go? Absolutely not. I mean, and I've seen, I've seen them let them go and then realize it after too. <laughs> well, I, see, I know. I've even seen, I saw like there's no, no big jobs anymore in radio. And I, I know of a story right now where there's someone who's, because of their social media prowess is about to take a job with a big, huge nationally syndicated morning show. And it has to do with their social media and how they've become like a social media sensation and that the radio station wants to also, you know, in integrate into this. And it's a strategic move on both parts because it's, you know, someone who wanted to get into radio and it's a state got the secret sauce for social media, but the more that they, can take that. It localizes them too. So when I'm having a personal relationship, cause I try to answer everybody, you know, I, I don't get to do it all. Like all the shouts get to be like, Oh no, like the follow Friday type thing. But if someone asks me a question, I, I always answer. And I think I'm that bad. Is, I'd like that. <laughs> well, it is good. I mean, it takes a little work. Um, I'd like to say I do that all the time. If I'm, you know, I do it, I guess you're probably the same. You do it 90% of the time, usually when you catch them all. And yeah. it's, uh, but that, that is used, that's a hundred percent more than most organizations do. And I think that's the key is, is that two way communications. I'm still waiting on some big organizations that I've shouted out. Okay. Blackberry is mean. I've tried to give feedback online and talk about the torch or I've tried to give feedback on different things I've been with, or I've just tried to engage. Like, um, there's some different, like, uh, tried to engage. There's the weirdest thing on Twitter grader. Yes. No big deal. I don't pay a lot of attention to the analytics, but I'm in the like top elite people in the world list, but I'm not in the women list. And the women list said these are people based on their grades and based on that. And I was like, I engaged this guy multiple times and said, does your thing think I'm a man or something? And it wasn't because I cared. It was just kind of a funny thing. And I'm still never heard back from the guy and they're selling social media. Oh, and that's even worse is the people who are like, social media experts or social media to the stars or social media to the TV station, radio station, um, online place. I try to, um, interact with their, you know, gatekeepers and people online and I'll go on and there's dead silence for like six months. And I'm all, you're doing social media and you're not even involved or even worse on all these panels that are teaching other people how to use social media. I go on and I look and I see, Oh, they have, 300 followers and they're following, you know, 12. And the only thing is a laundry list of them. And they're coming on these panels and teaching people how to use social media. Yeah. I'm like, 
something's wrong in that system. Well, I think overall, and I think this is uh, is just social media education of the people putting the events together too, is that, you know, like I'm hired to speak at conferences where the conference planner doesn't have a Twitter account and yeah. they – and this, the VP of sales who's brought me in has their entire staff access to Facebook locked off. Uh, and they're, <laughs> so how do those people really decide who's credible? Uh, and, and I yes. think that that's, that's a tough thing. And I think across as, as people get more educated in social media, they'll be able to weed through it. Uh, but right now it's, it's hit and miss for a lot of organizations and individuals, even when you're just looking to find the right people to help you. So, look, I really appreciate you uh, coming on today. And what I'd like to do is just kind of wrapping up for our listeners. Uh, again, uh, I know you've done some great things for brands and also done some great things for your own personal brands online using social media. Uh, what are a couple tips that you would give people, a couple principles you think that they should stick with if they really want to be successful using these tools to, to become efficient? Um, well, I mean, biggest one is I think that you can hear all my windmills in the back or my, my, (laughs) it's windy here today in Tucson. Um, I think the biggest thing is follow people that you're interested in. And I think that that I can't teach somebody altruism or that basic human interest, but you know, to be interested in other people and then heck at the end of the day, be interesting. So if you look for people you're interested in and you're acting, interested in them, which you are, and then you try to be interesting. It is the secret sauce. And I know that sounds so strange and it's hard to teach that. Um, but that would be my biggest thing. And if you're a golf shop, don't talk ballet, you know, so be who you are. Authenticity is the biggest thing all the time. I meet people, um, at a conference and they're like, Oh, I'm this and I'm that. And you can, you know, on the line, they're this big thing online and you meet them in person and they're like, they're a shy wallflower and they don't talk to people and they're, they're snarky or you'll meet somebody who's like, Oh, I love everybody. And you get around them and they're just full of toxicity. I mean, it's like, if you're toxic, um, be talk, you know, whatever, whatever you are acted online. Like if in like Blake Shelton's a good example, because here's a guy that of any, and you know, give or take whatever, if you were to say to me and tell any any other country music artist out there, like do these things and be mean to your followers and, and that, and you'll get results. I would be like, no way I would have advised against it. I would have held my hand up and say, I can't work on this project, but worked for Blake, but yeah. you can't be, you know, Jared Neiman and go out there and try to be Blake because then number one, you look like a copycatter. And I'm not saying Jared does that, but I'm saying you don't want to copy other people's Twitter styles, find your own. I mean, it's like, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. That's another tip. Is that too many? No, that's fantastic. So if you want to find more about Jessica Northey, you can go to fingercandymedia.com. You can also follow her at Jessica Northey, and that's with an E-Y at the end on Twitter. And thank you very much again for coming on the show, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing this with our listeners. Thank you. This concludes today's social media podcast with our guest, Jessica Northey. To carry on the conversation, you can always find me on Twitter, at Shane Gibson. You can visit closingbigger.net, make a comment, or subscribe to this podcast through iTunes. And of course, if you're looking for a speaker on social media, social strategy, or social CRM for your next conference, you can email me, Shane, S-H-A-N-E, at socialized.me.